The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. We are glad you are with us to close out the week here on 1010XL. We got a ton to get into tonight over the next two hours. We had an absolute blockbuster NFL trade that has gone down in the last 90 minutes. We have NFL free agency that is beginning on Monday. We got the players in full swing, although they've fallen behind because of the weather. It's going to be a very action-packed weekend to see if they can get it all in before Monday. And we'll even talk a little NBA tonight as well. Guest lineup looks like this. Coming up, In about 20 minutes, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, will stop by as we will take a look back on the last six weeks, everything the Jaguars have done in this offseason so far, and we will certainly preview next week in regards to Jawan Taylor, in regards to Arden Key, and all the Jaguars that are set to hit the free agent market on Monday. And coming up in about 40 minutes or so, at about 8.45, Tyler Rowland the Locked On Titans podcast up in Nashville. What are they doing in Nashville, Tennessee? Is it a full rebuild? They've cut Zach Cunningham. They've cut Taylor Lewan. They've cut Robert Woods. They've cut Bud Dupree. Today, they cut Ben Jones, their starting center. They're cutting everybody. Are they really shopping Derrick Henry? We'll check in on the Titans with Tyler Rowland, the host of the Locked On Titans podcast all that coming up in hour number one as we do every night here on hacker after dark we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and let's do that right now time now for the big deal of the night what's the big deal what is the big deal it is a big deal on hacker after dark once again anthony salazar filling in for dylan denmark this evening all right so earlier today or i guess earlier this evening The Chicago Bears and the Carolina Panthers pulled off a big one. Now, it will not be official until Wednesday when the league calendar starts, but it's all but official. It's going down. The Carolina Panthers now own the number one pick in the draft. The parameters are this. Carolina trades from nine up to one. In exchange, Chicago gets the number nine pick, gets Carolina's second-round pick this year, a first-round pick in 2024, a second-round pick in 2025, and wide receiver DJ Moore. It is quite the haul for the Chicago Bears. So again, Chicago gets the number nine pick this year, an additional second-rounder this year, Carolina's first in 2024, Carolina's second, in 2025, and wide receiver DJ Moore. Let's look at this from both sides, and I'll tell you what it means, in my opinion, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. There is a Jaguar angle to this, even though it's between Carolina and Chicago. What does Carolina get? Well, Carolina gets their pick now. It was costly, but they get their pick. Everybody knows that you have to have the guy at quarterback. Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence, 
Justin Herbert. Obviously, you know, back in the day, Aaron Rodgers. It appears Jalen Hurts is the guy in Philadelphia. You have to have the guy. And Carolina, ever since Cam Newton, has not had anything close to the guy. They kicked the tires on Baker Mayfield. They kicked the tires on Sam Darnold. None That didn't work out. So it was going to cost them. But that's the price of doing business in the NFL. Carolina plays a very hefty price, but they are going to get their guy. I texted a Carolina guy in Charlotte. I've been doing this long enough where I tell you, I got guys, right? I got people in all these NFL markets. So I actually texted a couple guys up in Charlotte. I said, hey, I'm going on the air at 8 o'clock. In your opinion, why did Carolina do this? Who are they targeting? Thinking maybe it could have an Anthony Richardson angle to it. That's not what I was told. I was told C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. They were not sure that Houston, what they want to do at two, so they did not want to trade up to three and take their chances of missing out on both guys. They wanted to trade up to one, so now they have their pick between C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, and they will take the next 48 days prior to the draft to figure it out. So, Carolina is going to get either C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, it appears, which means Houston, more than likely, will get the guy that Carolina does not take. Quickly, what it means for Chicago. It's a great move for Chicago. They had already committed to Justin Fields, Boy, Chicago owes their former head coach, Lovey Smith, a big, big thank you card. Because if you'll remember in week 18, all Houston had to do was lose to Indianapolis, and they secured the number one pick. That's all they had to do. And Houston drives the ball 75 yards down the field, converts like a fourth and 16 on that drive, scores a touchdown, gets within one point of the Colts, They go for two, and they got it. And they beat Indianapolis in a pointless season finale that cost them the number one pick. Lovey Smith was fired three hours later. And Chicago reaps the benefit of it today, getting a haul from Carolina. So Chicago still has a top 10 pick this year. They still can start doing things to address their offensive line or potentially take somebody in their defensive line, wouldn't this be something? With the Jalen Carter news in Athens, can you imagine if Jalen Carter were to slide to nine and Chicago gets all these picks, gets DJ Moore, and still ends up with Jalen Carter at number nine? That would be, um, boy, an ideal scenario for the Chicago Bears. DJ Moore? is a bona fide number one wide receiver. I had DJ Moore on my fantasy team last year. He let me down, but I don't think it was his fault. He had very little throwing him the ball at quarterback in Carolina. Between Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, who else do they have there? P.J. Tucker. They just did not have a lot of good quarterbacks. You give DJ Moore Justin Fields, you already have Darnell Mooney, Remember, they still have Chase Claypool, Cole Komet at tight end. It's not a bad little team Chicago's put together. It's not Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, 
Evan Ingram, Zay Jones. Let's not get carried away. But, again, Chase Claypool, DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, that's not bad. You could do worse than that, so that's really good for Justin Fields. And, again, Chicago gets all those picks. An additional second rounder this year, an additional first rounder next year, and an additional second rounder in 2025. Let me get to the Jaguar point of this. What does it mean for the Jaguars, Hacker? Well, why would a Carolina-Chicago trade have anything to do with the Jacksonville Jaguars? Well, it's funny you ask. Let me tell you. Let's assume C.J. Stroud goes number one now to the Carolina Panthers. And let's assume that means Houston at number two takes Bryce Young. So Stroud is off the board. Young is off the board. Arizona's not going to pick a quarterback at three. Let's say they go Will Anderson from Alabama. And there's Indianapolis sitting at number four. No mistake about it. Indianapolis needs a quarterback. The thought was perhaps Young or Stroud would be at four for Indianapolis to take. That is almost a certainty now not to be the case. So Indianapolis needs a quarterback at four. C.J. Stroud's gone. Bryce Young is gone. You know who's there? Anthony Richardson would be there. To me, this trade that Carolina made with Chicago today, I won't say guarantees it, but, man, I think it makes it much, much, much more likely that Anthony Richardson now finds his way into the AFC South and that Anthony Richardson will potentially be playing the Jacksonville Jaguars twice a year for the foreseeable future. Indianapolis has got to take a quarterback. Now, maybe they like Will Levis more than Anthony Richardson, although you talk to a lot of people around the league, you talk to a lot of people in Indianapolis, where did Shane Steichen, their new head coach, where did he come from? He came from Philadelphia. Who did he coach at Philadelphia? He coached Jalen Hurts, a strong-armed, mobile, athletic quarterback that could run as well as he could throw. What is Anthony Richardson? Kind of the same guy. Maybe not ideal body types. Maybe Anthony's got a little bit better of an arm. But by and large, you look at Jalen Hurts' game with what Shane Steichen had in Philadelphia – Very, very similar to it appears what Anthony Richardson's game is going to be at the next level. So, could you see Anthony Richardson in the AFC South? And a question for you on the text line tonight, designed by Lifetime Enclosures, 641-1010, if you want to get involved. As a Jaguar fan, I won't say the word scared, because, I mean, what really scares you anymore from your opponents I would think maybe the Jaguars are scaring the Colts a little bit with what the Jaguars have. But any trepidation from Jaguar fans if Anthony Richardson goes to Indianapolis? Any concern that Indianapolis might turn the corner quicker if they have Anthony Richardson as their quarterback? Or do you say, huh, good luck. His accuracy's bad. He's very inexperienced. Are you not a believer in Anthony Richardson and thus you would be just fine if Indianapolis took him 
at number four overall, and the Jaguars had to play him twice a year for the foreseeable future. But an absolutely enormous trade. Carolina moves to one. Chicago moves to nine. And now we have 48 days to figure out, is Carolina taking C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young? I thought it was funny. Right after the trade, literally 30 minutes after the trade, Carolina starts sending rumors out there via social media and NFL reports that, yeah, we'd be willing to trade back from number one. My left foot, you would. You just gave up the ninth overall pick this year, your first rounder in 2024, your second rounder this year, and your second rounder in 25, plus a good young receiver in DJ Moore. There's not a chance you're going to trade back again. You're going all in on either C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, and good on you. That is a good move. Carolina is going for it. Carolina is swinging for the fence. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Ironically enough, ask the Chicago Bears about that. When they took Mitch Trubisky after trading up, that obviously did not work for them. But on today's occasion, they reaped the benefits of a team going for it. To me, Chicago won the trade, but the Carolina point of this is I understand why they did it. You have to have the guy at quarterback to win in this league. Carolina does not have the guy at quarterback. They're hoping either C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young is that guy. So they are willing to mortgage a little bit of their future to swing for the fences on a young quarterback with the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. Again, hit me up on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosure. If Anthony Richardson were to go to Indianapolis now at number four, Jaguar fans, what would your thoughts on that be? Gator fans, if you wear the orange and blue on Saturday and you're a teal and black fan on Sunday, if you're a Jaguar and a Gator, what would your thoughts be about potentially playing Anthony Richardson twice a year in the AFC South? 641-1010 on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosure. As if that wasn't big enough, Monday is the negotiation period for NFL free agency. Players will agree to terms all over the league. Those agreements will become official when contracts can be signed next Wednesday. Let's talk with Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Let's review everything that's gone on so far this offseason for the Jaguars, and let's preview next week. Will Jawan Taylor return? Will Arden Key return? What does Calvin Ridley bring to this team? Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, next on a Friday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Now. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Free agency less than a week away. A franchise tag has been handed out. And Calvin Ridley has officially been reinstated. There is a lot to get to when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And with that, let me bring in my friend Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com. Always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Brian, it's been a little while, man. How are you? I'm good, Rye. How's the out-of-season treating you? It's good. It's good. It's been busy when it comes to the Jaguars. Some re-signings, some franchise tags, and a reinstatement. Brian, let's start from the top because it's been a while since we talked. 
Roy Robertson Harris. It did not know, it did not appear that we knew when the season ended if he would be back in 2023. Lo and behold, he is with a brand new contract. Your thoughts on Roy Robertson Harris returning as a Jaguar? Well, he was instrumental in that late season run, Ryan. If you remember the Jets game in the third quarter, I don't think any of us thought that the Jaguars were going to lose that game to Zach Wilson, but they brought in that scrambling running quarterback and there were a couple of plays on one series where Roy Robertson Harris shut it down. And then in the game against the Chargers, he made a couple of big plays late in the ball game. You know, one was the sack, but there were a couple of you know two-gapping, run-stuffing kind of plays where he set up his teammates for success. It was pretty clear that Roy Robertson Harris was a playmaker and a valuable guy on the defensive line. And, you know, for $10 million bucks a year, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, He's a bargain. He's a guy who can get a lot of things done with his big body. He can reach for balls. He can two-gap. He's got enough quickness and speed with his feet to be able to make a play on the quarterback. Um, they got a good deal with him. And I think when you start looking at your options, no matter whether you're playing more of a 4-3 or a 3-4 front, Roy Robertson Harris is the kind of guy you want. You know, it's interesting. The last time you and I talked, there were $30 million or so over the cap. And it's funny how that can just evaporate with a couple of restructurings. Roy Robertson-Harris was one, Oluwakan, Kirk, Sheriff, Zay Jones, all the restructurings, and all of a sudden that $32 million, Brian, went completely up in the air. Yeah. You know, they're still tied to it this year, Ryan, because they're, they're one of two teams, the Bengals being the other team, and, and it's no coincidence they're both small market you know, communities that hadn't pushed money forward. In other words, they had claimed what they had paid in the year that they had paid it. Well, when you start to get to this point where you've got guys, and a quarterback in particular, now you've got to start playing some caponomics. And that's what the Jaguars are doing. If you remember nothing else I say about this, it's cash over cap. Because if you can pay a guy up front, in other words, if your owner has enough liquidity and the willingness to spend cash, you can do deals where more money is paid down the line, or you can shrink a cap figure, for instance, a guy like Roy Robertson Harris or a Christian Kirk, you can shrink it by taking their base salary, converting it to salary or to signing bonus, and then pushing it out evenly, amortizing it over the length of the contract. You can play all kinds of games, but you got to have the cash, and this owner has it, and he's willing to spend it. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, a couple of under-the-radar re-signings, but important nonetheless. C.J. Beathard, Jamichael Hasty will both return. Beathard, uh, to me, that's huge for familiarity and for comfort for Trevor Lawrence. And as far as Jamichael Hasty goes, Brian, I thought he showed some things towards the end of last year. I'm happy he's going to be back in 2023. Yeah, they like him because he's a guy who has speed. If you recall that 60-yard off-tackle touchdown that he had in Indianapolis back in October, he's also got some power, and he's a good receiver out of the backfield. He made that touchdown catch against the Cowboys. So he's a versatile guy. He's not very expensive, but he does a lot of the things that they want to do. And most importantly, Ryan, he's really strong in pass protection, which means that you can put him on the field in any situation, on any down, and not worry. You know, compare that with a guy like Snoop Connor. They couldn't play him a lot last year because he didn't have to know pass protection schemes at Ole Miss like he does in the NFL. 
and he just wasn't up to speed yet. So a guy like Hasty's very valuable because you can use him in a lot of different situations. And, you know, look, in most cases, if you lose your starting quarterback, especially one of the caliber of Trevor Lawrence, you're screwed. I mean, you're, you're not winning. But as Chad Henney proved in that divisional playoff game, you may only need a series or two from your guy to keep you alive. And Henney obviously did that. They believe that C.J. Beathard is Chad Henney. He's got a good arm. He's not an elite quarterback. He's not a front-line starter. But if you need to put him in and keep the game going, or the season going, if he has to play for a game or two, they really like him. And, of course, man, the chemistry in that room, anybody I talked to, Ryan, this year, coaches, players, they talked about how Trevor and C.J. worked so well together, and especially with all the young quarterbacks that they had throughout camp, E.J. Perry being another guy. They really like that quarterback room. And the chemistry's got to be there, and Beathard brought it. Brian, as far as the coaching staff and that quarterback room, Beathard will be back. Obviously, Doug Peterson, Press Taylor, Mike McCoy. They did lose Jim Bob Cooter. How big of a loss is that for what Trevor and the Jaguar offense wants to do moving forward? They won't feel it at all. You know, I mean, the role that Jim Bob was in was to do a lot of self-scouting and then league scouting. So he would be looking around the league for concepts and plays, like that fourth down play where the Jaguars won the ball game against the Chargers. I mean, that's what he does. Phil Rauscher brought that play. I don't want to take credit away from Phil. But what Jim Bob Cooter was doing was just a, it was a bridge year for him until he got a chance to go back and be an offensive coordinator, which he did this year. So they bring in someone else. That passing game coordinator role is really, you know, works at the pleasure of the head coach, projects as assigned. When it comes to Trevor Lawrence, the two most important, three most important, obviously Doug Peterson, second, Press Taylor, but Mike McCoy is the guy who should get a lot of credit for bringing him along this year in game situations. Mike's a tremendous coach. No disrespect to Jim Bob Cooter. He did a good job. Just look at the results. But that's a position you can fill next, next, next. You go get your guy. couple of more for Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. All right, Brian, the big stories that have happened in the last couple of days. We will begin with Evan Ingram. We know he will be back. They did not reach a long-term deal, but they have placed the franchise tag on Evan Ingram. My one piece of trepidation on that is I think Evan's excited about being back. He said as much on social media. But he also made a comment, I don't know if you saw this on social media, the difference between the franchise tag number for a tight end, money-wise, and that of a slot receiver, which is about $4 million difference. And it caught my attention that Ingram made reference to that, I believe, a couple of days ago. So my question to you, could that get sticky when it comes to a long-term deal with Evan Ingram, the, the finances of that? Yeah, I mean, the potential is always there because careers are so short. Um, you know, I, I, it was interesting. Trent Baalke said this two or three times over the course of the season to a group of us who were standing on the practice that you want to be really careful when you're negotiating with a player during the season. In fact, he didn't like to do it, which is why they didn't get Evan done earlier, because you don't want to insult them. It sends them sideways. You want to focus on football. You want to make sure, and Evan Ingram is as good a human being, I think, as we've had in that locker room in a long time. He's a great teammate. He's great with the media. But 
careers are short and you start thinking about yours and what they're paying you and you can get stubborn pretty quickly if you feel like you are highly undervalued coming off a career year. Um, my sense is that they're still working very hard to try to get that long-term deal in place. And you know, Ryan, and your listeners may also, the deadline for them to get that is not next week. It's in July. So they've got plenty of time to kind of work this thing through. And as long as they're showing him the respect, and Balky's comments tell me that they are, I think they can get somewhere where it works for both sides. Brian, how did that happen? I was talking about this last night. About a year ago, uh, they signed Evan Ingram from New York, and I was getting text messages like, oh, he doesn't stay healthy. He drops the ball. He's a problem in the locker room. The, he was against the fans in New York. You know, all this stuff. And now all of a sudden, he's the Jaguars franchise player. I, I mean, what a what a turnaround for that young man. Yeah. You know, look, he, you can't forget what he did on the field, right? I mean, as the season went along and, he, and they developed his role and the chemistry and the quarterback all came together, and they did. As the quarterback hit his stride, I mean, he was looking for Ingram, and Ingram made play after play. But he was happy here. He saw how they were going to use him in Doug Peterson's offense. It's why he signed here in the first place. It's Trevor Lawrence's locker room, and you know what kind of a person Trevor Lawrence is. And, and that means something. He was happy here. There's no pressure here compared to New York, for goodness sakes, where the media and the fans are so aggressive about it. Not that the media and the fans here aren't professional and don't want to win. It's just a different chemistry in Jacksonville than it is in New York. I don't think I need to explain that. But he found a spot, Ryan, like a lot of us do in our careers, whether you're in radio or whether you're in business or law or education, whatever, where you're happy. And it was clear early on that the coach – quarterback, the city, just all fit him. And then he went out and produced. I, I love the guy. He was one of my go-to guys in the locker room. He never said no. He never made a question that he was, wasn't willing to try to answer. He loved everything about last season. So that's why I have such optimism that they will get something done for him. Because Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke and, of course, Trevor Lawrence all know who he is and value him highly. Sometimes the right place at the right time falls in your lap, and I think it did for both sides. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, as we begin to wrap up, Calvin Ridley officially reinstated earlier this week. I was stunned by that. Not that he got reinstated, you know, I, I was thinking April, maybe May. He got reinstated, Brian, three weeks after he applied. The NFL never goes that fast, so I wonder if – Maybe they think in the back of their mind the penalty was too harsh and they reinstated him right off the bat. I was stunned that it happened this quick. Well, I wasn't because I don't think there was any reason to push it into the offseason. With the league year beginning next year and the paperwork having been filed in February, there was no reason. A month's time is more than enough to be able to, to look back over the last year or so and see that he was ready to go. Ryan, I had someone that I really trust in the league tell me that the Jaguars would not have made the deal for Calvin Ridley if they didn't believe completely that he would be reinstated, that he was going to be coming back. Somewhere in the league office, they said, hey, look, nothing's 100%, but the kid is on track. You can expect that he's probably going to sail through the process. There was no reason to push it. And don't ever underestimate that the NFL likes success stories, right? 
and, and the NFL is now in bed with professional gambling. So if they've got a success story about a guy who had a gambling problem or a gambling issue, but he came back and now he's corrected it, they're going to want to tell it. They're going to want to be able to show people, see, it's not that big of a deal. We can have this kind of a problem. We can overcome this problem. Um, the NFL is going to use this to their benefit. They're letting the Jaguars benefit and Ridley benefit from it. Really, I can't see any reason not to do it right now. There's, you, you don't need to dig anymore or drag this process out. He's been out for more than a year. Time to let him back into the game. That's a really good point about Ridley and using that to tell his story. That's a really good point. Brian, what does Ridley bring to this offense? Well, he's your true alpha. I mean, he's the, he's the big, fast, uh, you know, incredible ball skills kind of guy who every defensive coordinator is going to have to scheme Calvin Ridley, which means that that's one less thing they can focus on. Look, this offense with Ridley, Kirk, Jones, Ingram, and ETN, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's almost unfair. There are so many chess pieces for Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence to put together. Ridley is going to make defensive coordinators take him away, which is going to leave something for someone else. The Jaguars haven't had that kind of a guy in a long time. Allen Robinson's probably the last guy that defensive coordinators had to go, all right, no matter what, we got to find a way to make sure he doesn't beat us. It's been a long time. Now you've legitimately got a guy – who is a big-time playmaker with all the intangibles, all the measurables, that is going to, if he does not have a huge game, open a spot for someone else to be an impact player also. Brian, final question. I have spent so much time, you have as well, over the last six weeks saying the names Jawan Taylor, Arden Key. We now have clarity on Evan Ingram. Free agency officially begins on Monday. Penn can meet paper next Wednesday. Uh, what are we thinking as far as not only those guys, but the Andrew Wingards of the world, Chris Manhurts, Dan Arnold? What are your thoughts on some of the Jaguars' in-house free agents? Well, I, I think all things being equal, if the Jaguars want to keep the, the Dan Arnold crowd, they can't, right? Uh, those guys are going to be in a certain income bracket, and they will want to come back to Jacksonville for all the obvious reasons, right? The coach, the quarterback. The playoff run last year, the weather, the tax situation, this is a very desirable place for people to play. It's a desirable place for people to live. We all know that. It's why we live here. So those guys, you'll get back. The Juwan Taylor thing is really hard because you can't. You can't keep everybody. If you could, the Cardinals never would have let Calais Campbell go, right? Um, that's the best example I can think of. You just can't keep everybody. They drafted Walker Little, and Walker Little is a player. And you have to be willing to let some guys walk to make the salary structure work. So if Juwan gets kind of an offer, and there's really two offensive tackles in this free agent class, a left tackle in Orlando Brown and a right tackle in Juwan Taylor, someone is going to make him a blockbuster deal. Can you find a number that works for both sides that keeps him here? I don't know. They're tied against the cap this year. They're going to be able to pay the quarterback next year. There's a lot of thought, Ryan, that has to go into it. If you can't, well, that's why you drafted Juwan Taylor. I'm sorry. That's why you drafted Walker Little. 
to be able to fit that, no matter what, going forward, the Jaguars have to put jars on the shelf. They have to put good young players that they develop into a position to be able to replace players that they can't afford to pay when the quarterback is a $70 million a year guy. And that day's coming, and everyone knows it. They've got to be better than they've ever been at drafting and developing. And both the coach and the general manager said as much at the end of the season. So I would love Juwan Taylor back. He's a great player. He's a great person. But it's going to be really tough with some of these teams that have cap room at a premium position like offensive tackle. Yeah, conventional thinking at this point. Ingram's obviously back. Taylor's probably gone. Arden Key, Brian, as we say goodbye, that's probably the one that's up in the air. I could really see that one going either way. Yeah. You know, again, he's a pass rusher is one of those that people will overpay for a pass rusher. And he came in last year, and he was relentless. He didn't stagger people with the sheer number of sacks. But if you go back and watch cut-ups of, of him rushing the passer, man, he was good, Ryan. It's going to be tough to keep him, too. Draft and develop. This would be a good time for Caleb on Chason, who's coming up into a contract situation shortly, to step up and become Arden Key. He's got all the intangible. He's got all the height, the weight, all that. Caleb on Chason's a guy they really need to start playing. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, thank you for the time. Certainly appreciate it. Let's do it again right before the draft. We'll see how the Jaguars fared in free agency. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, I'll be I'll be in Kansas City. We can touch from there. There you go, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, here with us on Hacker After Dark. Appreciate Brian's time. Those are the big ones next week, right? Jawan Taylor, Arden Key. I put a poll up on my Twitter handle earlier today, at Ryan Green, 1010XL. What Jaguar is the most important to re-sign not named Jawan Taylor or Arden Key? 376 people have voted. Your options were Andrew Winger, Dewan Smoot, Chris Manhurts, Adam Gotstas of the 376 votes so far. Manhurts at 5%, Gostas at 7%, Wingard at 30%, Dewan Smoot, the overwhelming leader despite that Achilles injury, at 58%. You can vote till the end of the show at Ryan Green 1010XL on Twitter. We talked a little Jaguars. Now let's talk about the enemy, the arch rival. By the way, before we go to Nashville, news in the NFL tonight, former Titan wide receiver Robert Woods is apparently staying in the AFC South. Ian Rappaport reports 10 minutes ago, Robert Woods has signed a two-year deal with the Houston Texans. So Robert Woods, released by Tennessee, reportedly now on his way to Houston. Speaking of Tennessee, Tyler Rowland, the host of the Locked on Titans podcast, is it a full rebuild in Tennessee? Bud Dupree, Zach Cunningham, Taylor Lewan, Robert Woods, Randy Bullock, today Ben Jones, the center, all released. Rumor is they're shopping Derrick Henry. What are they doing in Nashville? What is the thought about the Titans heading in to free agency? Let's check in on the enemy. Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked on Titans podcast. He's next. Hacker after dark on a Friday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we are glad you are with us. Now, 
Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Some interesting times in the AFC South. A brand new head coach in Indianapolis. A brand new head coach in Houston. Calvin Ridley gets reinstated earlier this week in Jacksonville. Evan Ingram gets franchised. And are the Tennessee Titans really shopping Derrick Henry? Wow, let's go to Nashville. Tyler Rowland is one of our guys up in Nashville. You hear him on the Locked on Titans podcast. You can also read his work at alltitans.com. And he joins us here on 1010XL. Tyler, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me back on. Some interesting things have transpired since we last spoke. So it's that kind of season in the NFL, though, where a lot of wild stuff is happening. Yeah, look, you and I talked about a month ago, and at that point, Zach Cunningham, Robert Woods, Taylor Lewan, Randy Bullock, and Bud Dupree were all still Tennessee Titans. Now they are not, as all five have been released. Is this cost-cutting, Tyler? Is this rebuild? What's the thought in Nashville right now? Well, I think there's a fine line in between the two, and we really can't have an answer as to what the Titans want to do until we see kind of the way they approach the rest of the offseason. I think some of the cuts that you saw, Taylor Lewan, Robert Woods, Zach, Zach Cunningham, those absolutely had to happen. The Titans were $23 million over the salary cap before starting all of those cuts. So they had to get under the cap some way. And Lewan, you know, had a great career with the Titans, but only played 20 games in the last three years. That That's a cut that needed to happen with no guaranteed money to, that you got to hold on to. Robert Woods, good wide receiver. He's probably going to have a good year next year with a new team, but he wasn't worth the $14 million he was set to get. So those make sense. Now, Bud Dupree, Bud Dupree to me is one where some people could see that and think, oh, this could be the start of a rebuild. Now, I have not been a very big fan of uh, the Bud Dupree signing since it happened two years ago, and I thought that this day would come for quite some time, basically since the contract was signed, uh, if we're honest. But the Titans could have done some calf logistics and some maneuvering to uh, to keep Bud Dupree around, who is still a starting-level edge rusher in the NFL, even if he wasn't worth the $20 million that the Titans were going to have to pay him. They could have they could have moved some money around with the contract to keep him around. Uh, so I get why people may whisper the rebuild word after that. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, Bud Dupree had seven sacks in two years. He had eight tackles for loss in two seasons with the Titans, that's simply not good enough for $20 million. So while you could look at that, at that move and maybe be like, oh, the Titans really are going to rebuild, I think at the end of the day, all of this is just is just cost-cutting and smart moves for the Titans to clear out cap room on veteran players who weren't worth what they were going to get paid. So I think this is more just solid, smart retooling and, and getting your money in the right place. Now, if the Titans do some things like we've been hearing whispers about, like trading Jeffrey Simmons or – trading Derrick Henry or they trade Ryan Tannehill, things like that, then I think you can start screaming the rebuild word at that point. But until I see the Titans make moves like that and get rid of some of their better players that they have right now, I don't think the rebuild is the right word for what's happening. Tyler Rowland, the Locked on Titans podcast. You can also read his work at alltitans.com. All right, Tyler, Derrick Henry. We're obviously very familiar with Derrick. He spent a lot of time in our radio studio when he was a high school young man here at Uly High School. We are big fans of Derrick Henry. Uh, the fact that it came out over the Combine weekend that maybe Tennessee was shopping his services, 
caught us in Jacksonville a little bit off guard. What's been the reaction in Nashville, and what's your thought on that? Well, I think the initial reaction uh, for some people was shock because of, you know, how great of a player Derrick Henry is and what he's meant to the Titans. I think for some of the people who are more a little, uh, a little more plugged in to the way things work in the NFL are probably not as shocked, but I think it's interesting that we've gotten conflicting reports now. Michael Silver said he heard the Titans were shopping Derrick Henry. Jonathan Jones of CBS uh, Sports comes out and says he hasn't heard that, and Jones has had uh, you know, some scoops on the organization that can be believed. So I, I honestly think that both reports are true in a way. I think that Jones has a source with the Titans, and that source would tell Jones, who he knows is going to report it publicly, that the Titans are not shopping Derrick Henry because why would you openly admit that um, through a source in that way? It's just not going to happen. Uh, and I'm sure the Titans don't want to get rid of Derrick Henry if they want to compete. But the reality here is, Derrick Henry is approaching 30 years old. He's a running back set to make $16 million against the salary cap. And you could go back and look the last 14 years of Super Bowl winners have paid their leading rusher in the game less than $5 million. So you just don't win Super Bowls nowadays with a, a highly paid running back. It's just not something that happens. So I think if you're honest with yourself as a Titans fan, you got to look at the situation and say, the next time the Titans are seriously competing for something like they did in 2019 or 2020 or even 2021, is Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill going to be the duo that leads them there? I, I think the honest answer is no. By, by the time the Titans are ready to compete again with the way that the roster is right now, I don't think that Derrick Henry is going to be in his prime and be worth a big contract. So uh, while the Titans aren't going to get rid of Derrick Henry for pennies, I think there's a line you don't just trade him for the cap savings. Uh, you still want to keep a good player. I think the Titans would be irresponsible if they didn't listen, if somebody got a hold of them and say, hey, you know, what could we get Derrick Henry for? Maybe a team like the Eagles, maybe a team like the Dolphins, a team like the Buffalo Bills. And one of those teams who is closer to competing for a championship reaches out and wants to give you a second-round pick for Derrick Henry. You save money, you get an extra pick to try to turn things around, and everybody knows you can find a running back off the streets practically these days and get decent production if your offensive line is good enough, your offensive design is good enough. I would remind people that when Derrick Henry went out with a foot injury in 2021, the Titans had nearly the same amount of rushing yards in the games that he was out as the games that he would play. But it was just a little over 900 yards in both circumstances during the regular season. And although Henry was coming off an injury, and that has to be, that has to be accounted for, Deontay Foreman, a guy who the Titans signed literally off his couch in the middle of the season in 2021, had the better game against the Bengals in that loss in the playoffs. So I'm not saying that Foreman's a better player. I'm just saying you look at all of the running backs around the league. You could find a running back in the mid-rounds of the draft. You could find a running back in free agency. And if your offensive system uh, is set up correctly and your offensive line blocks well enough, you're going to get incredible production out of your running back group, even if you use two or three guys to do it. So while I don't think the Titans are going to trade Derrick Henry, because I think that would push the panic button on a full rebuild, which wouldn't be a panic to me, but I could see why certain Titans fans would be worried. Uh, the Titans would, again, be irresponsible if they didn't listen when people called. So I think uh, they may not be shopping him. That may not be the right phrase to use, but I'm certain that Rand Carthon would listen if someone called with a good enough offer. Tyler, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Derrick Henry's contract like one more year? Or so, I mean, is it a situation where 
you might want to let him go before you either have to let him go or he leaves in free agency? Well, I think I think the conversation would come down to what kind of pick you could get in return based on what you would get compensatory pick-wise if you let him leave. So Derrick Henry does have one more year of guaranteed money on his contract. Now, he's got some dead money after next year due to restructure bonuses where the Titans kicked the can down the road on his contract a couple of years ago to try to make more salary cap space. So uh, the Titans basically would have to eat $10 million in dead money no matter what. This year, if they got rid of Derrick Henry, whether that be a trade, whether that be uh, a surprise release, which absolutely is not going to happen. But uh, either way, the Titans would have to eat some dead money this year with Derrick Henry. But, I mean, going forward, no, there would there would be no, you know, no salary committed to Derrick Henry in the future. He could leave as a free agent. He'd probably still get a middle of the road, you know, closer to high end running back deal and then you would get you know a compensatory pick for that a third or fourth round pick back if the titans get offered you know a second round pick or a second and a third christian mccaffrey just went last year in season for a second a third and then a fourth in the year after now christian mccaffrey fits a lot more offenses and is a lot more versatile as a player so i think he has much more trade value than derrick henry does but at the end of the day that's a high-priced running back who's got tread on the tires who got traded for that amount, I think if the Titans got an offer, like a second and a fourth for Derrick Henry, I think you'd have to do it at that point. A couple of more for Tyler Rowland, the Locked on Titans podcast. You can also read his work at alltitans.com. Tyler Ryan Tannehill, at the time you and I are talking, is still the starting quarterback of the Tennessee Titans. Will that be the case in the next month? Gun to my head, Ryan, yes. I would say yes, that will be the case. But but there has been a lot of smoke about the Titans looking to trade up in the draft and being interested in quarterback. And uh, I think a, a trade up to pick number one with the Bears, that's a tall task from pick number 11. I think you'd have to include this year's first round pick at number 11, next year's first round pick, and maybe even a first round pick in 2025 or something that's been a little bit whispered lately that I don't think is going to happen. But Instead of a first-round pick, you could throw in Jeffrey Simmons, who is looking for a big-time deal and just scrubbed his social media and deleted his social media accounts in the midst of contract negotiations with the Titans. So maybe maybe there is some smoke where the Titans are looking to include a couple first-round picks in Jeffrey Simmons. The Bears were interested in Jalen Carter, the interior defensive lineman out of the uh, out of Georgia, one of the Bulldogs. So with Carter's recent legal issues, however they work out, the Bears could say, hey, if we pick up some picks, get Jeffrey Simmons, the Bears have $96 million in cap space right now. They have enough money to, to pay anybody they want. They'll say, hey, we'll take Jeffrey Simmons. He's basically what we hope Jalen Carter turns into and get some extra picks from you, let you move up and get your quarterback. I think that there's been some smoke around that happening. I don't think it's incredibly likely, but, hey, can't rule anything out in early March. But I also think there's a scenario where, we see the Colts go up. Everyone is saying that they're enamored with Anthony Richardson, the quarterback out of Florida. So if the Colts trade up to number one and get Anthony Richardson, let's say the, the Texans take Bryce Young, I think the Titans' preferred quarterback is C.J. Stroud, and Monty Austinfort is the new general manager of the Arizona Cardinals, and he just came from the Tennessee Titans, working within the Titans organization. So there's a relationship there. Maybe the Titans reach out to the number three overall pick move up to get C.J. Stroud. I think that would be an option as well. But, I mean, again, 
gun to my head here, if I had to give you an answer, I think I think it's Ryan Tannehill in 2023 for the Titans as they try to ride out the last year of his contract. All right, Tyler, you mentioned Jeffrey Simmons. We kind of saw something similar to this last year with A.J. Brown. He was unhappy in Nashville. Lo and behold, on draft night, he gets traded to Philadelphia in one of the shocking developments of last year's draft weekend. It's not going to happen twice, right? There's a new general manager. For the life of me, I cannot imagine. Now, if moving up to number one is one thing, but just trading him in the middle of the draft for something that does not include the number one pick, I mean, Jeffrey Simmons isn't going to get dealt for anything less than that, correct? Oh, correct. I think there would be riots in the city of Nashville if you followed up a trade of A.J. Brown with a trade of Jeffrey Simmons for anything other than the quarterback in the future. I think while trading Jeffrey Simmons would be a tough pill to swallow, um, and I'm personally as high as you could possibly be on Jeffrey Simmons, I think outside of Aaron Donald, uh, when healthy, he's the best interior defensive lineman in the NFL. I'd put him up there with Cam Hayward and Chris Jones. Uh, I think he's absolutely fantastic. He's the kind of guy that you build a defense around. He is a foundation piece in the NFL that could lead you to a Super Bowl. Now, I thought that about A.J. Brown as well, but the guy who traded him away got fired. So I I guess uh, we know the analysis on that deal. But uh, I I think if you trade up and get your quarterback of the future, it's almost like you divert the fans' attention to something shinier. You know what I mean? So you can sell, hey, we didn't want to pay Jeffrey Simmons, uh, you know, $125 million for four years. Instead, we used him as a piece to trade and get our quarterback of the future. Everybody get excited, you know, and I think I think they could survive a move like that in that scenario. But there is just no way they trade Jeffrey Simmons for anything other than some sort of package to do that. It wouldn't be just for draft picks back like we saw with A.J. Brown, or at least I would hope that the general manager who just got hired doesn't make the same exact mistake that just got the last guy fired. That wouldn't seem like a good move. Tyler, we're out of time. 90 seconds to go. We're always keeping an eye on you guys. I know Tennessee's always keeping an eye on Jacksonville. Your reaction and the city's reaction up there, if there has been any, to Evan Ingram being franchised and Calvin Ridley being reinstated. Well, you just realized that the, the Titans are, uh, you know, still behind Jacksonville in terms of talent on the roster. It's not like, uh, you know, the Titans may have had a seven-game losing streak and had a lot of injuries and everything, but when you look at the state of the roster, you realize all the weapons that Jacksonville – Jacksonville is getting better this offseason. They're keeping their pieces. They're adding Calvin Ridley, one of the better wide receivers in the NFL when he's on top of this game. So the Titans know they have a long way to go before they're going to be in a position to to keep up with Jacksonville, compete with Jacksonville. Right now they got a lot of moves to make. Tyler Rowland, the Locked On Titans podcast. You can also read his work at alltitans.com. Tyler, thank you as always. We'll talk again closer to the draft. We'll see where things have landed there with Tennessee. Appreciate you, my friend. Now. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. You know, we've been so caught up in NFL free agency and the combine and everything that's going on. You fail to realize the NBA regular season winding down very quickly, the postseason on the horizon. There is a lot to get into. And with that, let's welcome in Keith Smith. You see him on Spot Track. You also hear him on the front office show. He's covered the NBA for a long time, and he joins us here on 1010XL. Keith, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Hey, Keith, always appreciate the time. All right, before we talk about playoff teams, 
Let's talk about my beloved Orlando Magic. Keith, it's frustrating watching this team because I think they could have been so much better this year if they were healthy. But clearly it appears the building blocks are in place if they make a couple of good picks in the draft with the lottery coming up this offseason. I think next year is probably the year you could expect Orlando to potentially land back in the playoffs. What's your thoughts on them? Yeah, I think this year was a let's show improvement and step forward. And we've seen that almost across the board. As you said, unfortunately, injuries really sunk this team for a large portion of the beginning half of the season. And now they're kind of creeping back in here at the end of the year, too. But we saw enough of a sample size when they were whole and healthy of all right, we've got some guys. We we've, we we don't have all the guys yet, but we've got some guys that we can build around. Bancaro and Franz Wagner, two awesome building blocks. So those are those are your guys moving forward. And now the good news is for the Magic, it's about all right. Everything we do from here forward for the next several years has to be about maximizing those two guys and getting the right players who fit around them. And that's a good direction for the front office to have. They've got great cap and roster flexibility moving forward. So I think, you know, add, like you said, add a couple more guys in the draft, uh, hopefully get guys healthy for the start of next season. And now what you're doing is you're looking or we're going to be competing for the play in tournament, maybe even beyond after that, if we can get these moves right and get the right guys on the floor. Keith, there's a lot of good storylines in Orlando. I mean, Markel Fultz was left for dead, considered to be one of the biggest busts in NBA draft history, at least recent history. He's turned it around. He's had a nice little run in Orlando when he's been healthy. Wendell Carter, Chicago was done with Wendell Carter. I'm not sure if I wouldn't trade Wendell Carter for Nick Vucevic straight up right now. And Orlando got two draft picks. One turned into Franz Wagner. The other one's likely going to be a lottery pick in June. They stole that trade from the Bulls. I mean, along with Bancaro and Wagner, I think Carter and Fultz are also pretty big building blocks for that team. Yeah, absolutely. Though Those are two guys right in the mix. I, I would also know people are down on him a little, and he's got to find a way to stay on the floor because every time he gets it going, he gets hurt, it's Jalen Suggs. Right? We, we, we need to see him out there uh, a little more often too. But I think – in this case with Orlando, you're seeing this team, you know, really kind of come together. And I think the front office, Jeff Waltman and John Hammond, they came in at a weird spot. They, they came in and took over a team that then was better than what people thought. And they, they won a bunch of games and it was all right, you know, but they weren't great, but two playoff appearances. And I think in a lot of ways that was good because at least got some of these guys values raised up and those kind of things. But then when they made the decision to pivot, Boy, did they ever. And it wasn't a halfway. It wasn't a, we're still going to try to, you know, maintain things. It was, let's really tear this down and, and go forward. And they've done a great job since then. So there's a lot of really exciting guys on this roster that, that I think fans can get behind and say, all right, these are our guys. And next time we're good, it's not going to be good is in we're going to be the seventh or eighth seed good and we're only going to last a couple years you're hoping it's going to be we're real contenders and we're going to be around for a while good which is a fun place for the magic to be keith smith talking nba with us you can see him on spot track also hear him at the front office show he's with us on 1010 xl in jacksonville keith final orlando question but it's kind of got a chicago twist to it again the orlando stole that trade from the bulls Assuming the Bulls don't land in the lottery and picks one through four, Orlando gets their pick in June. 
And that leads me to Billy Donovan. The Bulls potentially are the biggest underachievers in the league with Levine and DeRozan and Vucevic and everything they got. And it would be a surprise now if they make the playoffs. Is Billy Donovan in trouble, Keith, in Chicago? I don't think so. I I think he's going to get at least another year to really kind of figure this out. I think we have maybe forgotten that that team, when they were healthy at the start of last season, how good they were uh, with Lonzo Ball, with all their guys. And then Zach Levine was hurt at the end of last year. Lonzo Ball was out. And they just didn't have that on-ball creation. And a lot of it fell to DeMar DeRozan. And Vucevic was put into a bigger role than he should be in at this point in his career. And they faltered. And then this year, they never were really able to get it going. Again, Levine started off the year not healthy. And Ball just... We, we don't know what's going on with him. And it's that's kind of one of those mystery injuries where it's, all right, we don't know when we're ever going to see this guy play again. And that's been a huge problem for them moving this thing forward. So I, I don't think they're going to hold Billy Donovan accountable to that because they still play hard. They still you know execute to the, I think, mostly to the best of their ability when guys are healthy and on the floor. But it's it's the problems, man. They just haven't been the team they envisioned. So I think they're going to try to do a mini mini overhaul uh, this summer and see what it looks like around keeping a couple of the veteran guys and then they'll move forward from there and he'll, he'll be the guys there. And then if it doesn't go well next year, that's when we'll start talking about, all right, maybe it's time to make a change up top. Keith, let's focus on the teams that will be playing postseason basketball, but I want to start in Memphis. They were great. They've certainly come back to the pack. And then the John Morant situation with that Instagram post and, and the gun he had in that video and, He's been, I guess, suspended by the team or away from the team, and there was reports this morning that the league may have a say in this and that the police in Colorado may have a say in this, and this could be an extended thing for John Morant. Uh, Boy, you hate to see a young man, I'm not going to say throw it all away because he hasn't yet, but that kid is unbelievably talented, and he he needs to figure it out off the court pretty quick, does he not? No, 100%. You're spot on. He's going to get the right people in his ear. And the question that I would be asking him, and this is where you know I transition into to dad mode here a little bit, is what do you have to gain from any of this? What are you getting out of this? Because is, is it cool? Are you getting cool points? And who are you getting them from? Like, like that, I, who who gets anything good out of any of this? There's nothing good coming out of this. And it sounds like, you know, it's just a case of maybe he's got some of the wrong people around him and people are enabling and encouraging uh, this, you know, bad behavior. And it's my worry is what's going to happen now is whether all these stories, obviously we know he had the gun because we saw the video, but these other stories of him, you know, hassling uh, mall security guards and hassling 17-year-old kids, whether those are proven to be true or not, what's going to happen now? Every time John Moran is out somewhere in public, someone's going to try to test him because that's just how the world works. And what my fear is, is it's one thing if somebody gets in his face and it, it just ends up in a bunch of yelling and arguing. It's a whole other thing if things escalate past, like, hey, you got a gun, I got a gun too, let's see what it looks like. And then that's where things could get really, really sideways in a dangerous and scary way, and that's that's what we don't want to see happen here. So hopefully, you know, they're going to get him, the right people around him, he's going to figure this out, because this is one of the bright young stars in the league that, that we all, you know, really kind of like on a you know up-and-coming team and, and that, and this is not what Memphis needed 
contributed at all in a season that really is firing away from them. They they looked like a contender in the West, and now it's kind of a team where I think some of these these teams are a little bit lower in the standings. They're like, yeah, we wouldn't mind drawing the Grizzlies in the first round of the playoffs. Keith Smith has covered the NBA for many years. You see him on Spot Track and the front office show. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Keith still in the Western Conference. Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and the Suns have looked dynamite. A very small sample size, but they've certainly looked good. Kyrie Irving and Luka, that game last Sunday was a great one. They've looked pretty good as well. And then the Lakers, the story there is can they make the playoffs without LeBron? And if they make the playoffs, could LeBron potentially come back at that point? How do you see the Western Conference unfolding here over the last coming weeks of the regular season? I think if I could tell you that, Ryan, we should both be putting a lot of money down somewhere and, and retiring early. Um, it's just <laughs> one, of, one of those things where you look at the West and it's just, it's been a jumble all year. Outside of Denver at the top of the conference, who's just kind of cruised along, it's been, you know, all this, you know, just mishmash of teams. And Sacramento has played great. They've climbed up and now they're in the two seed uh, as it stands this morning. Um, you know, they, they, they were, you know, in a position where it looks really good for them um, with the, uh, you know, Grizzlies. They've started to slide. But that mix of teams, like you said, Phoenix and Dallas. And I'm not going to count Golden State out yet because we know they've got another run coming in them. And then the Lakers at the bottom. Can the Pelicans get their guys back on the floor? and make a run like they did a, a year ago. Uh, you know, that, that there's so many good teams in that mix. It's going to be a lot of it more so than ever, I think, in these playoffs, very much in the West. But I also think in the East, too, it's always about health and matchups. But I think that's going to be more than ever because you can't point to any team right now and say that's the team. That's who's going to win the title. And it's been a long time since we've been able to do that in the NBA. It's as wide open as I can remember it being any time in the last probably decade or so. You know, you go to the Eastern Conference, very, very good teams at the top. We thought it was Boston for a long time, but my goodness, I saw Milwaukee twice in the last week play Orlando. They just don't miss, Keith. When they're on – they're just drilling shots all night. I don't know if Milwaukee's not the team to beat now over Boston, and then I think Philadelphia, even the Knicks, Cleveland. The Eastern Conference is going to be a lot of fun. It absolutely is. And, and, you know, even if we go down a little further, you have the Miami Heat. Every time I'm, I'm ready to throw dirt on them and call it done, they win a couple games, and you're like, all right, I can see the Heat being real frisky in a playoff series. I can see them kind of getting in there. Even the Atlanta Hawks, as disappointing as they've been, you can still see a playoff series where, all right, Trey Young scored 45, 50 points in a couple games, and now we're in a series we didn't necessarily expect to be in. So it's it's going to be really fun. I think Milwaukee and Boston all year long, for my uh, money, have been the two best teams, not just in the East, but in the entire NBA. I, I've had them kind of in a little bit of a separate category. And in as much as, you know, Celtics fans are panicked right now and it's everything is falling apart for them. It's you look at it and say, Hey, it took a 16 game win streak by the Bucks to just to catch you in the standings. Like you're going through a little bit of a rough uh, patch right now, but your hope is you're going to bounce back from it. Maybe Milwaukee's peaking a little early, but I don't know they, that that win against Orlando um, the, the other night when Giannis didn't play and Drew Holiday didn't play, and they still took care of the Magic. And it wasn't a game where the Magic played great, but they didn't play all that poorly. And they played really hard. That says a lot about, wow, boy, the Bucs, they're, they're just kind of a machine right now. And it, it's going to take your best effort to beat them. 
Keith, final question. Um, the NBA as a whole, from All-Star Weekend to the trade deadline to even off-the-court news, even though it's not been great, including the John Morant situation, there seems to be a lot of um, publicity, whether all publicity is good publicity, some isn't, but it's in the you know the common thought people are talking about the league. As we approach the postseason, is the NBA in a good spot? Is Adam Silver and the league happy right now with – the way the season's gone and what's going to unfold in the playoffs? I I think they will be by the time we get to the playoffs. I, I think everybody, then it'll be, oh, you remember all those games where we were worried about guys sitting out in, you know, December, January, and February? Yeah, this is why. Because we wanted the best players at their best come playoff time. You know, teams are trying to be at their best in April, May, and June. They don't really care about being at their best in the, you know, in the wintertime months. It's just not what they, where, where the focus is. Everything's about winning titles. So everything's going to be geared towards that. And I think what we've seen coming out of the all-star break is we are seeing games played at a very high level now, because now it's, all right, it's time to start locking in. It's time to ramp up for the playoffs. And it's time to start focus on, all right, we want to be X seed, whether that's we want to be the first or second seed or we want to make sure we have home court advantage or we want to get into the top six because we don't want to mess around in the play-in. Or, you know what, You know we're pushing for the play-in. These games now, almost every night, you're seeing just an incredible games, you know, night to night in the league, and really good, close games and in hard-fought battles. There's only four terrible teams in the NBA this year. That's a testament to all the changes they've made with the play-in tournament and flattening the lottery odds and all those sorts of things. And those teams are they're, they're bad, and we kind of knew they, they probably weren't going to be very good this year. And then everybody else is, some of them, like the Orlando Magic, they have a bad record, but not necessarily a, a bad team, not playing bad. It just kind of happened that way. And there's a couple other teams in that mix. But for the most part, you know, when we're down to the end of the season here, and we've still got 20 to, you know, 22, 23, 24 teams really fully battling for playoff and postseason spots in the playing tournament, that's a great place to be. So I, I think the league is, you know, really looking at it and saying all that hand-wringing earlier in the year, this is why we don't worry about it all that much. Even if we do – no, we've got a little bit of an issue when fans pay a lot of money for tickets to see a person play, and then they're not there. That's something we're probably going to have to work on. But for now, we're focused on getting these teams healthy and ready by the spring. Keith Smith has covered the NBA for many years. Keith, tell the good folks in Jacksonville where they can find you for your NBA content. Sure, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. Everything I write, everything I, you know, anywhere I appear on a podcast or anything, I'm always tweeting about it there. You can, you know, find just a lot of general NBA thoughts there, and you can find my written work over at Spot Track if you like salary cap and roster stuff. It's all there, and then NBA front office show. Um, Trevor Lane and myself every. Uh, day Monday through Friday, we're we're there just about breaking down the latest news and notes and all the storylines around the NBA and having a lot of fun doing it. That's awesome. I'm a big NBA fan. I'm a big Keith Smith fan. Keith, appreciate your time, brother. We'll talk again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having. Now, hello, another great guest on the Farah and Farah phone line. Brought to you by the Accident Attorneys at Farah and Farah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. We are less than a week away from NFL free agency. There's a ton that's already gone on with the Jacksonville Jaguars and around the AFC South. And will Aaron Rodgers soon be playing in New York City? There is a ton to get into with that. Sam Monson, the lead NFL analyst of Pro Football Focus, one of my favorite websites out there. And Sam joins us here 
on 1010XL. Sam, how you doing? Doing great. How are you? Sam, we're good, man. Know you're busy this time of year. Thank you for the time. And we mentioned Jacksonville. Boy, a lot has happened right here in our own backyard this week. We'll begin with Evan Ingram getting the franchise tag. Sam, what was your opinion on that, the Jaguars tagging Ingram? Yeah, I think it was a good move. The franchise tag is interesting because for a couple of positions, I think it is still a kind of undervalued uh, final number that those guys are going to be playing on for one year. I think tight end is definitely one of them. Evan Ingram showed last season he can be a really important part of this team. The things that people liked about him as a prospect, as a player for the Giants, he's got that speed. He's a difficult cover. Those things showed up when you've got Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback. So to bring him back on a one-year deal for a pretty modest amount of money, I think it's just it's smart roster construction. Like They can keep a nucleus of very good players around Trevor Lawrence heading into this really important season for him. Yeah, they have to the middle of July to reach a long-term deal. If not, the one-year franchise tag would apply. Bottom line, Evan Ingram will be a Jacksonville Jaguar in 2023. Sam, what a turnaround for him, right? From going from a, quote, bust in New York and the fans up there wanting him out to being franchise tagged in Jacksonville a year later. Boy, that's some turnaround. Yeah, I mean, he had that impressive season. It's a big, uh, big jump for him going forward. But I think a lot of it was we finally started to see the, 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 for the plus points of his game actually be used in a quarterback that could finally start making use of it. Like he, he's a good match in that Jacksonville offense. And I, I think we're sort of seeing what he's capable of now. Sam Monson, pro football focus here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Sam earlier this week as well, Calvin Ridley got reinstated. Boy, the NFL did not take any time with that. He applied less than three weeks ago. They reinstated him here at the beginning of March. Uh, your thoughts on Ridley and what he brings to the Jaguar offense? Yeah, I think that's a really exciting addition. I mean, we liked it a year ago when they kind of took the gamble that he would be reinstated and that it would all come back and he would be able to step into this offense. Um, he, uh, Doug Peterson, we were talking to at the Combine, and he was saying, um, you know, they love what he can do and, and potentially come in and be that X receiver for them and give them a true outside perimeter threat that they haven't necessarily had, even with Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram. So I think from a complementary piece standpoint, it fits the offense. It brings a uh, specific skill set that they haven't really had. And even if he can't become, you know, a true number one wide receiver, quote unquote, I think the fact that he uh, changes the totality or the, the composite of the the skill sets that those wide receivers are bringing means the wide receiver room or the, the, the weaponry that Trevor Lawrence has overall is going to be better. So I, I love that move for them. I think it's a great gamble. And if Ridley is anything like the player that he was before his suspension, I think it's going to be a great move. Sam, as you can imagine, the excitement level here in Jacksonville is through the roof based on the way last year ended. Your personal opinion on Trevor Lawrence, what's your thought on him moving forward? Yeah, I think he ended the season looking like one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Um, up until that point, we had been a little bit sort of worried saying, where is this generational talent? This guy that was supposed to be the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning or even back as far as John Elway. We hadn't seen that guy. There had been flashes here or there, a play here or there. But overall, he really hadn't shown much. Um, obviously, 
the first season you had the urban Meyer disaster sort of clouding everything, but it, it took half a season last year for him to really start showing that on a consistent basis. But once he did, it really was like a switch had just been flipped and he's a different quarterback now than he looked earlier in his career and playing at the kind of level that looks like he belongs in that AFC playoff picture with these guys like, you know, Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and the very elite quarterbacks in the NFL. So I'm excited for what next year looks like for him because they are building a better team around him. Sam Monson, the lead of a pro football focus analyst here with us on 1010XL Radio in Jacksonville. Sam, as we wrap up our Jaguar thoughts, want to expand to the AFC South and the rest of the NFL, but clearly the Jaguars have two big free agents that are going to go on the market, it appears, next Monday. We'll begin with Jawan Taylor, and what's interesting about your website in PFF, you guys maybe aren't as high on Jawan Taylor as some of us are here in Jacksonville. What is your thought on Taylor and his uh, prospects once he hits the market next Monday? Yeah, I, I mean, he is a good pass protector. I think that's the, the most important thing. And the thing that's going to make him money um, is this is a passing league, first and foremost. And teams want guys that can protect the quarterback, that can protect on an island. And Juwan Taylor can do that. He gave up 21 pressures in 19 games, I think, last season. Now, I think four or five of them were sacks. So, you know, if you're going to lose, it would be ideal not to lose in a way that gets the quarterback hit at the end of it. But 21 pressures in 19 games is a pretty phenomenal return. Um, and the entire Jacksonville offensive line was kind of like that. They were very one dimensional. They were one of the better pass blocking teams in the NFL, but they ranked dead last in run blocking grade, um, the worst in the NFL. And Taylor is is in the same kind of mold. He's a good pass blocker, but what drags down his overall PFF grade is bad run blocking. Now, that's going to uh, matter different to different teams. There are going to be some teams that do not care that he's not going to be a plus run blocker, that he's not going to be uh, helping in that area. And there are going to be other teams for whom it is a bigger deal. And, th and those teams presumably are not really going to be in the market for a Juwan Taylor or just not going to be willing to go where other teams are. But I think he's definitely going to be one of the uh, kind of marquee free agents and a team that a lot of, uh, or a player that a lot of teams will be coveting. If the Jaguars lose him, and I think it's trending towards that way, Sam, to be honest, the thought here is that you just move Walker Little to right tackle. Cam Robinson comes back from injury and plays left tackle. Is it that simple, you think? Is that what the Jaguars should do, in your opinion? Yeah, possibly. I think they have a couple of options. Um, obviously, Walker Little, they drafted a, a couple of years ago. He's a guy that's come in and shown sort of mixed results when he's been on the field. But they're also going to be in a position to draft a replacement if it comes to that. And I think they're going to be in the kind of area in the draft where there will be starting tackles available. Um, so maybe they go one or other of those routes, but maybe they also do both. You know, Walker Little is the the, the starting plan, um, and a, a rookie can can potentially take that job for him from him, or a rookie is supposed to start and Walker Little is there as the contingency if it doesn't look like the guy's ready right out of the gate. So. I think between those two options, they can probably come up with a pretty good game plan to, to man that other tackle spot. Evan Ingram came to Jacksonville, Sam, on a one-year prove-it deal, and he certainly did that, the franchise tag, as his reward on the defensive side of the ball. Arden Key came here last year on a one-year prove-it deal, and he pretty much did that in limited snaps. I don't think he played 50% of the snaps, but he was a force towards the end of the year. 
he is scheduled to hit the market on Monday. How important is it for Jacksonville, in your opinion, to try to retain Arden Key? I think it's pretty important. Um, Jacksonville has, have obviously been just drafting these edge rushers for years now, whether it's Caleb on chase on Josh Allen, um, Trayvon Walker, like they keep swinging for these guys at the top of the draft. And none of them have really become the dominant force that they were supposed to yet. Josh Allen has become a very good player. Um, and I wouldn't want to sort of diminish his career yet, but none of those guys have really become what they were expecting. And yet Arden key is kind of quietly, emerged in the NFL over the last couple of years as a pretty good situational pass rusher. He was a guy who came in out as a very sort of undersized lightweight edge rusher. He was big and long, but he had zero kind of bulk to him. And those guys tend to struggle in the NFL and he did, but he's really packed on some muscle and some size over the, over his career. And in the last couple of seasons has been like a real force as a, a situational guy. Last season, he had over 50 pressures um, on, as you're right, you know, 368 pass rushes. So a pretty low number. That's the kind of guy I think that you want to keep around until, you know, somebody like Trayvon Walker takes a huge step forward and becomes a, a true dominant force. And even if that happens, you kind of like having somebody like Key around who can have that sort of juice off the bench as that rusher. I, I think it's a pretty important guy to keep for Jacksonville. Final moments here with Sam Munson at ProFootballFocus.com. Sam, the AFC South has undergone a lot of changes in the last month. Two brand-new head coaches in Indianapolis and Houston, potentially two rookie quarterbacks that are going to start for them this year. And Tennessee looks like they're on the verge of a full rebuild. What's your thought on the teams in the division outside of Jacksonville? Yeah, I mean, it's it's Jacksonville's division to win all of a sudden. Houston, presumably, are going to get their quarterback at the top of the draft. Even if they do, I think they have quite a long way to go to build a good team around that guy. So it's difficult to see them contending this season. The Colts could bounce back quite quickly with a quarterback. I, I think the pieces are there for that team to be pretty good. The offensive line was miserable last season. Um, it shouldn't be that bad again. They have some players to work with either side of the ball. I could see the Colts challenging in that division quite quickly. And then Tennessee, I think their their fingers are kind of hovered right over the reset button right now. I, I think they're really deciding whether they want to blow this thing up and completely reboot the franchise. And if, you know, Derrick Henry is traded away and then Tannehill is released, these are the kind of signs that says we've we've pushed that button now. This is... This is a team that's going to look to the future and not right now. So Jacksonville is in pole position in that division. And really, the Colts might be the only team that can can kind of get on their heels. Sam, we have seen some unbelievable contracts for quarterbacks in the last 48 hours. Geno Smith, three years, $105 million. Daniel Jones, four years, $160 million. We're obviously keeping taps on all this because of Trevor Lawrence next year. Uh, but Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are going to be up first. If Daniel Jones is getting $40 million a year, Sam, my gracious, what's Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow going to get? Yeah, I mean, they're they're going to get monster deals. To be honest, I I don't think they're really comparable contracts. The, the Daniel Jones, $40 million a year thing, it looks gaudy from the headline figures. It's closer to a two-year deal in, in reality. Now, it's still two years at, you know, $40 million a year, more or less, but when you consider the alternatives for them were to franchise tag him at between 
35 and 45, depending on which type of franchise tag they used, maybe tag him again the next season if they they still weren't quite sure. Like you're in the same kind of area anyway. That's just how much it costs to keep a quarterback around on a second contract. But guys like Joe Burrow, I mean, they are going to be the guys that reset the marketplace. They're the next quarterback that is going to get whatever top of the market looks like. And the question for the Bengals is, you know, how do you structure that? Does that look like the Patrick Mahomes deal, this 10-year, half-a-billion-dollar contract? Does it look like the Josh Allen deal, which is structured slightly differently and is still fairly team-friendly? Or do they try and target the, the Deshaun Watson contract, which is the one that's kind of ruining everybody right now, this five-year, fully-guaranteed deal that the Browns gave out a year ago? And I don't even know if Mike Brown has that kind of cash on hand to put that money in an escrow and make that happen. So yeah, the, the borough contract in particular, I think is going to be the next one to come along and really kind of reset what quarterback pay looks like. Sam, I want to end with Anthony Richardson, final NFL topic. We can go rapid fire. Lamar Jackson, is he a Baltimore Raven in a month? Aaron Rodgers, is he a New York jet in a month? Um, yes to both of those. I think ultimately the thing with Lamar, I don't think he's going to get enough interest from other teams. I don't think there's enough around there for whom it makes sense. I think he's going to end up Baltimore matches any contract that comes along and he's playing for them again. Sam Munson, profootballfocus.com. Sam, by the way, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers quickly. You do believe he will be a New York Jet? I do. I think it, it makes sense for both sides. For Rodgers, the Jets have a team that can contend immediately if they put him on it. And for the Jets... Rodgers is the kind of home run they need at the quarterback position to contend in this murderer's row of an AFC. Like if, if you put Derek Carr in that team, sure, they're good, but they might not be the, the they could be the fourth best team in the division. Still, if you put Aaron Rodgers on it, they should be contending with Buffalo or whoever's at the top of that division to win it, make the playoffs and, and go on a run. Boy, the thought of Aaron Rodgers not in a Green Bay Packer uniform. That is pretty crazy. Sam, leave us with this. Anthony Richardson, a big topic down here, obviously, in Jacksonville. There's such a disconnect, right, between what the college football people think of him and what the NFL draft and the NFL draft folks think of Anthony Richardson. What is your opinion on Anthony Richardson and his pro prospects? It's still evolving, to be honest, because um, I was so impressed by his combine performance. Obviously, we knew he was athletic and he was gifted and talented, I didn't realize quite how amazing it was. Like, I didn't think he was really in that Cam Newton area of this is absurdly dominant, even against NFL athletes. You know, I didn't think he was quite that level of imposing. And yet he had the kind of combine that gave him the highest um, relative athletic score of any quarterback in NFL history. So that, I think, gives him an extremely high floor. People are going to talk about him as this high ceiling low floor type of quarterback but I actually think with that athletic profile his floor is very high like it's really difficult to be terrible if you're that athletic but his accuracy is terrible and we saw that even at the combine even throwing against air just the wide receivers next to CJ Shroud he looked like a completely different type of thrower so he has phenomenal potential he has a very high floor I think but teams need to figure out if they can fix that accuracy quarterbacks have come into the NFL who needed work in their accuracy and teams have been able to fix it recently. Lamar Jackson had the worst accuracy in the league as a rookie got better. 
Josh Allen had terrible college accuracy, got better over the first few years. So if teams think they can do that with Anthony Richardson, there's a genuinely special player there. If they don't, I think there's still a capable player there, but it's going to be a very unique offense for them to, to build around him and have that work. Sam, for people that listen to my show, they know I love PFF. Where can the good folks here in Jacksonville find your work, your podcast, give yourself a little bit of love? Yeah, PFF underscore Sam is me on Twitter, uh, the PFF NFL podcast, anywhere you listen to your podcast, including YouTube, and uh, obviously PFF.com is where all the stuff is. Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus. Sam, know you're busy, brother. Thank you for the time, as always. We'll talk again soon. No problem. Thanks for having me. And there you go, Sam Monson, ProFootballFocus.com, joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as NFL free agency begins on Monday. You can agree to terms. You can officially sign your contract on Wednesday. So there is certainly a better chance than not by the time we get back together on Hacker After Dark Monday night, we will have some clarity on Jawan Taylor potentially some clarity on Arden Key, and could there be a new Jacksonville Jaguar next Monday? We will see as, again, NFL free agency begins in less than 72 hours. Well, that'll wrap it up not only for the Friday evening edition but for the week here on Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys, as always, for hanging out with us. We have a lot of people to thank. Again, Sam Monson, profootballfocus.com. Appreciate Sam taking time out to join us. Also, Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com as we reviewed everything that's happened already this offseason with the Jaguars and previewed what lies ahead next week with NFL free agency. Tyler Rowland of the Locked on Titans podcast. Is it a full rebuild in Tennessee? Are they really shopping Derrick Henry? A lot of questions in Nashville. Appreciate Tyler's time tonight. On Hacker After Dark and Keith Smith of Spot Track and the Front Office Show. Love talking NBA with Keith Smith as the NBA regular season really winding down, right? You got about a month to go in the regular season before the playoffs begin. And thanks to Keith for taking time out to join us here on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back Monday, the first day of NFL free agency, and we will do it all over again. Also, all weekend. Tomorrow and Sunday, we will have you covered with players' updates as they will decide a winner, depending on weather, obviously. They will decide a winner out at the stadium course at TPC Sawgrass. Anthony Salazar was your producer tonight, filling in for Dylan Denmark. Anthony, appreciate you, my man. Great job, as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Friday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific Friday evening and an absolutely fantastic weekend. And we will talk to you Monday night on the first day of NFL free agency. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.